good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're continuing our study. If you have the same Bible I have, that's on page 996. Just scoop this up. 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 26. Nisha, do you have a, a favorite cup? Favorite glass? Favorite mug? Favorite bowl? Is there something that maybe in your home, like that's just, that's just dad's cup? That's just mom's mug. There's something fantastic about using your favorite things. And, and sometimes it's a bit of a bummer when your favorite things aren't available. So when I was a, a kid, a teen, we had in our home an orange bowl. It's a Tupperware bowl. Slightly diseased, probably been used with hot water too often, kind of misshapen. But it's about one and a half to two times the size of a regular cereal bowl. So that was my cereal bowl. And I would try to see if I could eat an entire box in one sitting, which I probably did too many times. But you only had to fill it twice. And that was great. You get a whole box down in, in two fillings. But I love that bowl. It's fantastic. And as a probably a normal teenager, I just assumed that if I just put it in the sink, it was supposed to be in the cupboard the next time I went to grab it just supposed to be ready and available for me. Now, how it got there, I don't know what elf came and cleaned that, but I just assumed it would be ready to roll. There's something to be said about availability, dependability, usability. It's those things that we love and things that we cherish. It's just, I don't know why. Why do you love that cup more than others? Water tastes the same, but it doesn't. Right? It's like, why? I love it. But having something that's available, dependable, and usable, that's always there. So not just with bowls and cups, but with tools and numerous areas of life, as we'll see in our text today, Paul's going to try to help Timothy think through these ideas of being available, to be ready, to be used by God. To do so, Paul will use the analogy of a mansion, a huge house, the owner or master of the mansion. And then we'll see these tools or vessels within. It's like this massive house, which you might call, I don't know, the house of God. And there's this main master. You could call him the shepherd, the keeper. And then there's these tools within the house or vessels. And we're going to find out some are, like we saw in 2.15, approved. They are ready. They're honorable vessels to be used. Some that are dishonorable and cannot be used. Well, what's the difference? And Paul's going to try to help Timothy understand the difference between these two. So today we will see that a useful vessel or useful vessels for their masters, they are clean, they are willingly available, and they are filled with right things. Useful vessels for the master are clean, willingly available, and filled with right, right things. And the question that you and I have to ask is, is, am I a useful vessel for the master? Am I useful to the master? Let's look at our text here, 2 Timothy 2.20. Now, in a great house or mansion, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. 
have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their own senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. As we saw last week, there are a lot of couplets or sets of two in this study. Today we're going to see there's a lot more. So first we see that there are two types of vessels. There are two types of vessels. Look at 220. Now in a great house or a mansion, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some for, what are our two types of vessels here? Honorable and some for dishonorable. Two types, honorable and dishonorable. Paul says in this great home, this ginormous home, you've been transported to this mansion. If you can think of, you know, like uh, work like uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, you're at Pemberley, you're at Mr. Darcy's estate, and you're walking through and seeing these sculptures. You're seeing things that are made out of gold and silver. You're just amazed at what you're seeing. And there are these vessels that are just set apart. You're like, what's the beauty? There's also things made out of clay and wood. There's vessels of use for different things. You might think of this gold and silver laid out at a table. You might find a clay pot or jar somewhere else to hold a plant. But throughout all of this, it's not just what the vessel is made out of, but what the vessel is used for. What is the purpose of the vessel? Some are used in an honorable way. Some are used in a dishonorable way. So you can think of home vessels in your home that are used in an honorable way and some that are used in a dishonorable way and not to be crass but let me read you what we mean by dishonorable for one instance one author point out that these dishonorable dishonorable vessels at this time were containers for garbage or excrement that's what they that's what they're for that's dishonorable use it's where we put our trash our rubbish that's where we go to the bathroom Dishonorable use. And vessels that are used for honorable use. This is what we'll use to serve our food on to our friends and family that come in. So Timothy, for you and for I, we are to be honorable. We are to be an honorable vessel for the Lord. That means what we are doing, how we are being used in this life, ought to be reflective of our master. And doing so in service for him and not trash. Not garbage. To be a useful vessel for the master, we are to be clean, willingly available, filled with the right things. So the question is, you and I, are you a useful vessel for the master? There are two types. There are also two traits. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There is fantastic news here that if you were a dishonorable vessel, things can change. You, you can become an honorable, right? So if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, there could be a point in time where that could change. He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So how does a vessel go from being dishonorable to being honorable? You think of examples in this book that we see in 2 Timothy. Just 2 Timothy alone, you have some bad examples, right? Paul gives you some examples of fellows that have done it the wrong way. You have chapter 1, 15, you have Hermogenes and, and Phygelus. 
Chapter 2, you have Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2.17. In chapter 3, you're going to have Janus and Jambres. In chapter 4, you have Demas, who's forsaken Paul, forsaken the Lord, having loved this present world. Are these men Christians? Are they just prodigal sons? If they're prodigal sons and they, and they know the Lord is Savior, but they've run away from Him, can they come back? Could they still be an honorable vessel if they, if they painted themselves with the world? What's the answer? Yes. Where's the father when the prodigal son returns? He's on the road. Arms open wide. Come home. Come home. Clean. So how, how do we get there? How do you get there? Maybe you're there. Maybe Timothy was there, and we don't know. But maybe you're there, and you feel like, man, I'm so covered in the muck and mire of this world. There's no way I could be used for the master. Christian, how small of a view of God is that? Why would you slight grace in that way? Is, is grace not greater than all our sins? Can he not cast as far as the east is from the west all our transgression? Then you can return. And you can be an honorable vessel fit for the master's use. How do you do so? Well, first, you need to get clean. You need to get clean. Think spring cleaning. Sometimes we have church work days and we clean things that probably should be clean more than once every 10 decades. But you know, every now and then you're like, well, I don't think anybody's seen this area of the church for the last 20 years. Maybe we should touch that up, right? There's that aspect of cleaning, and maybe you do that in your own home, where all of a sudden you try to do spring cleaning, you're like, I didn't know we still had this. Where, is it, where was this at? But think better than that. So do you have daily chores in your home or daily things that you try to clean? Why do you have to clean those things on a regular basis in your home? Because they get, what? Dirty. So in the home I grew up on, at 9040 Webster Road, Plow, Michigan, 48420, back in the day, it was Gravel Road. And I was in charge. My job was dusting. You ever lived on a gravel road and been tasked by your mother, perhaps to be a little OCD on the clean side, to dust? My middle name should have been Pledge because... I was spraying that stuff everywhere, on everything, every day. It's like if we just keep the cars off the road, you know, we, we, could, we could end this dust pandemic. But every day, what? I didn't clean this. Should have chosen a different chore. Some things have to be cleaned on a regular basis. Christian, you and I need to realize that is our soul. It has to be cleaned on a regular, daily basis. We get filthy all the time. We drag them into the muck and mire of this world. Thus Paul advises you and I, advises the church of Ephesus, advises Timothy, get clean. Grab the bleach. Start to scrub. What do you scrub off? The dishonorable. Those things that we cling to, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, bad thoughts, foolish words, complaining spirits, and so on. 
or what we saw today in our reading from Galatians 5 on the works of the flesh. By the strength that's in Christ Jesus, we are to clean ourselves of these things. Why are we to do so? Do you desire to be used by the master of the house? Christian, do you desire, truly desire, to be used by God? Do you want him to use you in some way? A great place to start. Get Get clean. By the strength that is in Christ Jesus, get clean. So that way you can be ready and available. You're also to be set apart as holy. Useful vessels for the master are willingly available. Paul says at the end of verse 21, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good work. We are useful and ready. Being clean does not mean that you're available to be used. You ever understood this when with dishes or desserts or things in your home? Just because my wife makes brownies doesn't mean I can eat the brownies. They're available. I mean, they're right there. I mean, they're they're there. They're ready to be eaten. But no, those are for so and so. What? What about the master of this house? He's going to go without dessert today, <laughs> right? She made some the other day, and I was like, I just walked past, like, I'm going to come back and get some of those. And she's packing them up, and I'm like, where are those going? Just because it's there doesn't mean it's available. I have a tool. Uh, so when we just moved into our new home, thankfully, again, we told you about this, Lord, answer prayer. My parents were able to move, with us, move in with us here at the summertime. But we're taking stuff down. You're painting, putting stuff back up. There's stuff. We just haven't touched as we're trying to move in. Got boxes everywhere. So we had a towel rack in our kids' bathroom. I took down a little Allen wrench. And you have those Allen wrench that has like the little, they're all stuck together in one thing. Put it in a box as we're moving. Can't find it anywhere. I have it in my home. In fact, I probably have two in my home. I can't find them anywhere. And so we've been in this house for months, and there's nothing to hang for the kids to hang their towel on because I can't find it. So yesterday I had to go to Walmart and spend $3 for one tiny little Allen wrench that would fit. It's here, like I'm walking around. We have, it's in one of these 40 boxes. It's this big. I know what color it is. At least I think I do. I'm colorblind. At least, at least I, to my own eyes, know what color it is. It's there, but it's not available for use. It's not ready to be used. Now, that's my own fault. If you're not being used of the Lord right now, let me ask you a hard question. Who would you put the blame on? The Lord? He's the one refusing to use you? You're on the bench, you're an all-star waiting to get in? Or you're either not clean or you're not willingly available. Well, I got so much going on and we got this and that. Are you willingly available for the creator of your body, 
the savior of your soul. Could you spare a moment for him? When you think this willingly available, ready to roll, you would think of, as Miss Vanessa prayed for, those soldiers in Ukraine who are on the ready at every moment. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. This is how we ought to live as Christians. To be ready, willing to be used of the Lord. You point, I shoot. Whatever the path, whatever the cost, where you go, I will go. As they say in the, the NFL about players, they talk about the best ability for an NFL player is availability. The players that can be there, game in and game out, week after week, year after year, as opposed to those that get hurt all the time. Just being available. As a coach, when I, when I coached basketball, in high school basketball, we had a couple kids on our team, and, and they wanted to be involved in 16 other things, and they're like, well, I'm, I'm only going to be able to come at one practice a week, and then they wonder why they can't start. I mean, wh- why can't you start? You're not here. I can't trust you to be here. Other people have invested themselves, so I may have somebody starting with less ability, but I can count on them. Christian, we have to be available, ready to be used of the Master. Being ready and available to be used of the Lord is a necessary part of being an honorable vessel. Get clean, be ready. Useful vessels for the master are clean, willingly available, and also filled with the right things. Are you useful to the master? Next we see number three. We see two commands. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord. You have these two commands. Both have this idea of running. Flee, so turn around from what is there. Flee, turn around and take off, but not just anywhere. Go to something. Go to what? Righteousness. So you're fleeing evil and you're pursuing righteousness as described in those next few things. Faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord. So we are to flee youthful passions, youthful lusts or evil desires, depending on your translation. Do not fill up your vessel with that which is dishonorable. The lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and the pride of life. So what should your vessel be filled with? Righteousness. And the things that we see here, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord. Do some of these sound familiar to you as you start reading through those? Do they have a hint of something else? And if you start thinking through this, you'll see that a lot of the fruit of the Spirit are listed in this passage. In fact, six of the nine are specifically listed. Two are inferred. One is left off, and that is joy. So just walk through the fruit of the Spirit that we read today. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And we see verse 22, righteousness, faith, love. The second joy, as I mentioned, isn't given. What comes after love? Peace. Look at verse 24, able to teach, patiently enduring, patience. Again, verse number 25. So the fifth one, not quarrelsome, but kind. Number six, the sixth is goodness. And this is kind of a stretch. You see a reference to good works in verse 21. Again, I think that's a stretch, but that would be the... Eighth of the nine. The seventh is faith, as we see in verse number 22. 
verse number 25, the eighth one, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And the ninth fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which I think is inferred in verse 21, when you see this connection of cleansing oneself and being ready to be used, being disciplined, having self-control. So at the least you have six. I think for sure you have seven, possibly eight. These fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that we ought to be filled with on a regular basis. Notice, however, that though this is very personal, these are things that you ought to be doing, it's also very corporate. It's not something you're supposed to do by yourself in, a s- in stealth mode. The Christian life is not to be done alone. Right? This is a building. Where's the church? It's us together. It's not you alone. It's us together. It's the people of God. And so we see this here in this text. Paul says, do this along with who? Those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. One author wrote, in spite of the individual challenge that Paul presented, he was not permitting Timothy to function alone. He was to find strength and encouragement in the companionship of those who call on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. There were those for whom he was responsible, but also some who would be his peers and share deep and common desire to be faithful. Christian, God has given us the body of Christ, the local church, to do this life together. Together we can help. Together we can assist. Together we can encourage each other to be vessels fit for the master's use because useful vessels for the master are clean, willingly available, and filled with the right things. Again, are you, are you useful for the master? Number four, we see two approaches. Verse 23, have nothing to do, nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Do you know that they breed quarrels? The Lord's ser- servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Timothy, you can fan the flame of confusion and division, as we saw the two knuckleheads above you. That's what they were doing, right? I mean, that's what he was doing. But instead, I'm asking you, Timothy, to shepherd your people, shepherd them, lead them to the pastures of God's grace. When dealing with those knuckleheads seen in 2.17, and they're babbling and spreading lies, and they're causing confusion for some, some are straying from the faith because of this. Paul says, Timothy, have nothing to do with the way of those bozos. Rather, verse 24, shepherd them and lovingly lead them to the Savior. To do so, Timothy first needs to be kind. It's a simple thing to be kind. How could you be kind? Can you think of a verse that talks about being kind? Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. How might you forgive them? Just like God, in Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That, my friend, is being kind. Be kind. Be kind one to another. Do not repay evil for evil. Timothy, when men revile you, do not revile back. Be kind. It's simple. Do you think that word kindness, would you say that typifies our culture right now? 
that's how people are acting and reacting to each other. It's just kindness is just exuding out of one another. Should it not be said so, though, of people that claim to be Christian? No matter what a politician says, no matter what red or blue does, that we still can turn and be kind. We can be kind one to another. After being kind, what else do you think? All right, what's next on the list? That would be, man, that'd be great. So if you're being kind, we ought to do that. What's, what's also super important for you to do? He has to be what? Able to teach. Does that seem strange to you? It seems super strange to me, even as a pastor. It seems strange to me. Be kind to people, but you have to also be qualified to teach, be able to teach. But what does that tell you about the importance of the teaching role of a pastor? I mean, beyond his own personal testimony of being kind, like Jesus is kind to others, the exaltation, the exposition of the Word of God is of utmost importance for the saints of God, regardless of who's in there, whether it's me, whether it's Pastor Ethan, whether it's a guest speaker that we have, whoever might come, teaching the Word. It's the main thing I am to do. The best thing I can do for you this week is what? You're thinking, well, come paint my house, come visit, come do A, B, or C. like to have a dozen of your mom's cookies. They're great, and I can make them better than my mom. Don't tell her. Right there, you say, well, what could I do? For, what's the best thing I could do for you this week? The best thing I can do for you this week is prepare and preach and teach next Sunday. It's not the only thing I am to do. Right? Beyond being a pastor, I'm also a husband and a father. I'm also a Christian. I also have responsibilities for you because I'm also a member. There's a, a num number of other things. So, yeah, but what's the best thing I can do for the church? Preach the word every Sunday. It's the best thing I can do for you. Because you need, just like I need, the word of God to hit us square between the eyes so that we can get clean. So that our eyes are opened when we're blinded to our own sins. Because if we're blinded to our own sins and we're living in the muck and the mire, we're going to be a dishonorable vessel. And we need to be an honorable vessel fit for the master's use. So we need to be washed with the word on a regular basis. That's why the importance of teaching is so high up for the Apostle Paul. That's why he's trying to instill this in this young pastor in Timothy. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort. Timothy, teach. You have to be able to teach. Timothy is also going to have to need to patiently endure. We've seen throughout this text, he's going to deal with suffering. He's going to deal with backlash and backbiting. And when he faces these false teachers and when he faces people that are opposing him, he's going to have to do so. He's going to have to correct with, what does it say at the end? Correct his opponents with, with gentleness. He probably wants to sock him in the eyes, if we're being honest. Every now and then, 
if you're honest with yourself, and you're being honest with me, and I'll probably tell to give a little smirk, there's some people that you're like, they could probably use just one. Just one. One sock in the eye. They're knuckleheads. Glad you know I'm not the only sinner here that has, has that heart. You have to correct with gentleness. Jesus was gentle and lowly. Correct with gentleness. Parents, I'm sure we could think of something, some way to take a principle out of that text. Do you think to apply to our own hearts as we deal with our children who sin like their parents do? That we would correct with gentleness? Why would we correct dishonorable vessels with gentleness. Why? Why not just take a back to it and shatter the vessel altogether? Why would you correct a dishonorable vessel with gentleness, Paul? Well, because there is more than one master and there is much at stake. So we see this last one here. We see two masters. One will be a useful vessel for the master. Have to be clean, willing, available, sold to right things. But I have to understand that there are two masters. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you catch who the two masters are? We have God in verse 25, and we have the devil in verse 26. Look at how the two are compared. Why would you correct with gentleness because God can do what? He can grant repentance, which leads to the knowledge of truth. What else can God do? He can help us overcome. He can help us come to our senses. Like, what on earth? You ever been struggling in sin, and finally, you repent, and you make things right, and then this shame kind of comes over you first. Like, what on earth was I thinking? Have you ever felt that? God can help us come to our senses. You knucklehead. God can deliver us from prison, the chain and bonds of Satan. The devil, however, traps and tries to keep you bound for all eternity. We mentioned a number of times the work of C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, that set, there's a book in there called The Silver Chair. And in The Silver Chair, Prince Brillian, if you haven't read, encourage you, read them. They're fantastic books. Prince Brillian was held captive by the Queen of Underland. And while he was there, he was bound to the silver chair and enchanted. And every night, as long as he sat on that silver chair and was enchanted, he did not know who he was, and actually he ended up being an ally for the queen all the time he was in prison. So he's stuck in the silver chair. He's just ensnared by this. Living under the ground of the kingdom that he owned, Narnia. Had no clue who he was or what he was doing. So he's delivered by two kids and puddle worms. You can read about it in the book. But that sense of being stuck in that chair, and it wasn't until they broke the silver chair and all of a sudden things went away, the fog started to go away. It's that same sense that we have where you and I, when we are, are easily ensnared. Hebrews writes about this in Hebrews 12 that we, we, are, we get ensnared by the sin that easily besets. Christian, you may not struggle with what I struggle with and vice versa. 
but there is stuff that you struggle with, right? That Satan uses that, that silver chair. He kind of pulls you off into your little dream world with that scheme. And Christ is there going, I, I freed you from that. It's like daily, you have to come back into our life. Lord, Spirit, fill me. Use me. Free me from that. It's like that silver chair is broken all over again, and we can now live in clarity for the Lord. Why would you gently correct a dishonorable vessel because our God forgives. And we praise the Lord that he forgives because he doesn't just forgive the dishonorable vessel next to you. He forgives you. He forgives me. And since I've received the forgiveness of the Lord, wouldn't I want others to receive that as well? So I gently correct because I know there are two masters. And there's a war going on, spiritually, and I want them to know my master. Because he forgives. He leads to the truth. He can bring them to their senses. He can free them from the chains of sin. It's almost like you'd be, you should tell other people this news, that they can be free. like an opportunity right on a plate for you to see people ensnared by the chains of sin. Satan wants you to be a useless piece of trash. Rubbish. The chamber pot. Dishonorable vessel. Unusable. Unfit for your master. Get clean. what it all means for us today and what can we apply to our lives first off friends do, do you understand that Jesus can set you free from the bonds of Satan is this your first time here maybe you've been here for a long time there's sin in your life that nobody else knows about maybe you, you don't even know the Lord and you wonder if God can forgive friend look at me he can he can you know how I know he can forgive because he forgave me. He forgave Paul, who calls himself the chief of sinners. Friend, he can forgive. He can deliver. He can set you free. Will you repent of your sin today? Will you confess him as Lord? Jesus came and died for you. He rose again on the third day. Would you entrust your life to him? When you do so, if you mention, you admit that you, like I, we are sinners, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did come. He did die. He did rise. He sent in a high and he still lives today. Would you give him your life? For all those that are here that claim to be Christian, let me ask you a couple questions. First, Christian, do you believe that God can grant you victory over the sinful choices you are making?
Do you believe that God can grant you victory over your sinful choices? Be honest. Do you truly believe you can do that? You can. Put faith into action. Maybe you're struggling. You say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Pray it. Pray it. Be honest like David. But seek his face. Get into his word. Lord, help me. Grant me the forgiveness I know. Grant me the freedom that you promised. Second, is there something, some sin, some practice that you ought to be fleeing? Is there a practice that you ought to be fleeing? Safeguards you ought to be putting up for your own life that maybe you're like, well, other people are going to think that I'm crazy because I, I struggle with this. And, and they're like, well, what are you doing that for? And I have to explain, like, do you want to be free? Then flee. Stay away. What might God be able to do for you if you were freed from the bondage of those things? How might that change your family, your, your relationships? Your work ethic. Third, are you filled with the fruits of the Holy Spirit? All of them. All of them. I used to read the fruits of the Spirit and think like, you know, as long as I got a, a passing grade on one of the nine, then I was good. The others, it's just my personality. Yeah, what you gonna do? You know, I don't have to be kind because I have self-control. As long as they're being kind to me, we're supposed to be filled with all nine. You need to get an A on each grade. Are you filled with the fruits of the spirit? All of them. If you think like, mm, no, okay. That's honesty. It's good. Well, start with confession, get clean, and then pray. Lord, fill me now. I have 12 hours and 22 minutes left in this day. Would you, in your kindness, grant me love, joy, and peace? And walk down the list. Are you ready to be used? Are you ready to be used? You're, you're, you are clean. Willingly available? Is your life, your schedule set so you can be used of the Lord? Back when I was growing up, this is a long time ago, teens and kids, long, long time ago. Back when I was growing up, there were a lot of things that happened. I'm sorry, a lot of things that are happening today did not happen back then. We didn't feel like, I don't think, ever as a kid growing up, but we were running around like chickens with our heads cut off. But today there's all this overbooking and overscheduling. They even made a commercial about, right, two guys, they're, was it a Geico commercial? They're going back and forth and they're working on the schedule. Can't remember what commercial it's for. They're just overbooking it. We don't need any more overscheduling. Is it possible that you've scheduled God out of your schedule? Is that possible? That you have so much going on that you can do nothing for him here? Can you imagine a scenario where a Christian working so hard to provide for his family, kids, and college retirement 
and beyond and yet had barely had time to serve in his local church? And I say that because we can easily imagine it. We don't have to imagine it. It's real life for many. Well, what would I give up? Let me ask you a better question. What would you gain? What would you gain? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's it. We have one life. You understand the rigmarole of life as we take in our kid. There's three playoff games yesterday for viral basketball. It's like, you know, it's a close to the kin to the NBA championship. It's real close on the importance level. Understand dragging your kids and doing things. This is the only life we have here on earth. For whom are we living? What's the greatest lesson we can teach our kids and our grandkids? How to get a scholarship? How to ace a test? How to live for God? We need parents to rise up and set their schedules accordingly. We need grandparents to rise up and set their schedules accordingly. We need single college students to show our teenagers how to set their schedules accordingly. We need teenagers to show the children how to set your schedule accordingly. Yes, I have tests. Yes, I have that. But I will not miss this. And I will be available for God to do A, B, or C. Are you available? Like, well, pastor, I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. Bless you. Come tell us that. That would be fantastic. Because we can ask for help. We can even put it into a piece of paper that we give out on a weekly basis. Do you want to be used of God? Schedule accordingly. Lastly, how thankful are you that God allows us to keep getting clean? You ever prayed... God, if I ever do that again, take me home. Because that's it. It's the last time. How many ever prayed the last time prayer? Anybody? Just two? Man, you're killing me. And what happens when you ask for forgiveness again? Come on. And you feel, and that shame just overwhelms you as you walk to the Lord. Again, your head bowed down, tail tucked between your legs. I blew it again. I know. Come on. Come on. And that warm embrace of His grace and mercy, the washing of the Word, the cleansing of your soul. Aren't you thankful? He grants repentance more than a second time. Aren't you thankful that is our master of the house? Aren't you thankful he can deliver us from the bonds of sin? Praise him for it. 
praise him for it. He is worth our praise. Are you fit for the master's table? May we all be. Let's bow for a prayer as we do. Let's take 30 seconds before we sing a song. And in your seat, what would God have you do? If there's something, Christian, you need to change. By God's grace, something you need to believe by faith that he can give you victory, whatever it is. And trust that to him right now. Friend, if you're here and you don't know him, I encourage you, see myself or Christian's friend that you came with, we'd love to talk to you about how you can know Jesus as Savior. Let's take this moment, let's quiet our hearts. We'll pray and then we'll sing. take your children that are sinners, people gone astray, you make them your own, you, you, we, we get your name, we are yours. Lord, we go astray so often, and what you made clean, we dirty. Lord, you help each of us here, Lord, to be a clean vessel ready, available, willingly available to be used of you. Lord, might you fill us with the right things. We'd be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. You'd show this world how to live. We ask that you'd also help those here maybe that don't know you as Lord. They don't know you as Savior, but yet to taste of the grace of God. May today be the day of salvation for them.